Good to see everyone here this morning. I hope you've enjoyed the service so far, and I hope I say something that will edify you in some way. I'd like to thank Zach for reading that this morning. You know, when I first started looking at this scripture, you kind of got to look at what was happening to Jesus at, at the, to the Jesus at this point. And we're doing a series on the road to the cross about the stuff that happened the last couple of me- weeks or months in Jesus' life. Well, what you got to realize is in, verse, in chapter 16 of Luke is when he gives the parable of the unjust steward that John talked to us about last week and the story of Lazarus and the rich man, which Matt also discussed last week. But you've got to realize who he's talking to in these particular instances. Because in those two instances, he was talking to a vastly different group of people. Whenever he was given the parable of the unjust steward and the story of the rich man and Lazarus, there were Pharisees. There was a great different amount of people around. When we get to Luke 17, it says that he was with his disciples. So this is people that were following Jesus. He is teaching the people that were following him at this point. Now, could there possibly be another people there? Maybe. But the only ones that are listed are his disciples that were there. So here he's teaching something that was to his disciples, not the religious leaders of the day, not the lost, but the people that were following him on a daily basis. This is something that he was teaching them. So whenever I first started looking at this, I go, man, there's a lot of ways I can go on this. We have forgiveness. We have causing other people to sin. We have faith. We have humility. And then I started, when I really started getting into it, I'm like, it intertwines perfectly in the way Jesus taught this. There's no reason to break it all up. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at this group of verses collectively. And even though they got a wide variety of topics, they all inter, inter, intertwine very well. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at what Jesus taught his disciples there and what we as his disciples today can learn about this, learn from this. In verse 1 he says, he said to his disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe unto him through though whom they do come. It would be better if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than he should offend one of these little ones. We have a parallel verse in Matthew 18 and 6 where he says, But whosoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Now, whenever I first started reading this, I'm like, well, what's a millstone? I'd heard it before. I mean, but I really hadn't really thought about what a millstone really was. That's a millstone. Now, if you wrap that around your neck and jump into a sea, I guarantee you're not swimming back to the top. You'd have to be a bad man to do that. I'm not that big of a man. But what that's used for is the grinding grain into flour. What would happen is people would grab the end of that log there and roll it around that circle with grain in it and crush it into flour. And Jesus says, it's better for you to hang one of those around your neck and jump into the sea than to cause somebody to sin. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like something I'd sign up to do. I'm not going to tie one of those around my neck and jump into the Atlantic Ocean. That's not happening. But Jesus said it would be better for you to do that than to cause somebody to sin. You know what Jesus is trying to get across here? It's hard enough for people to get through life without you adding to their problems. Have there been times where we, we have caused others to sin? Probably. You probably think of times where you caused... You're the ringleader. Hey, let's go do this. And it probably wasn't the right thing to do. I know I've been there. 
In Romans 14, verses 12 and 13, the Roman writer says this, So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or cause a way to fall in our brother's way. So he's saying we're all going to give account, but he says we shouldn't be judging each other. What we ought to be doing is making sure we're not putting a stumbling block or a way to fall in our brother's way. Instead of judging, let's make sure we're doing everything we can for them to succeed. Not everything that we can do for them to make them fail. You know, have you ever worked with somebody that you thought that their job was to make your job harder? <laughs> I've had people that I've worked with, I thought, man, the only reason you're here is to make my job more difficult. I'm always having to go behind you and clean this up. Jesus said that's not the way we need to be with each other. We don't need to make the job here on earth more difficult for each other. We need to clear out the way, clear the stumbling box out of the way. <clears throat> Back in Luke 17, then he starts in verse 3. He goes down a little bit of a different path. Take heed to yourselves. If a brother sins against you, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Now, somebody calls, somebody needs my forgiveness. Seven, that's never happened where somebody came to forgive me forgiveness for seven times in a day. You know what we would say in this earth? Man, you should learn your lesson the first four times. <laughs> Just get them out of there. Don't even de deal with those people. Jesus said we're to forgive them as often as they ask of it is basically what he's saying here. In Matthew 18, 22, 21, 22, then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? See, this kind of, makes, this kind of tells me this might be a little bit of parallel because Jesus said, hey, seven times in a day you forgive him. So Peter goes, okay, on the eighth time, he's out of luck. Well, what did Jesus say? Jesus said to him, I do not say unto you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now, I'm not a great mathematician. That was never my strong suit. But Jesus isn't getting out of here going, okay, you need to keep track of how many times somebody does something wrong to you. And once they get to that number, oh, they're done. We'll just write them off. What he's saying is often as they ask for your forgiveness, we're going to forgive them. In Matthew 16, verse 16, Jesus gives what we have come to know as the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, how be thy name. We've all heard it. We've, it was the prayer we said before all of our football games in high school. One of the lines in that prayer is, forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. But Jesus added, added to this prayer added another teaching to this prayer in Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15. Right after he got through teaching on the Lord's Prayer, he said this, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive, also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Wow. So you're saying, my forgiveness hangs on how well I can forgive other people? Some of those grudges I've been holding on to, I might need to let go of, huh? <laughs> Maybe that's not as big a deal as what I thought it was. Maybe I need to forgive that and move on and move past it. When you think about it in those terms, it becomes a more serious topic, doesn't it? If I don't forgive my brother for what wrong he did to me, God's not going to forgive me for the wrong I did? Wow, that puts a whole new perspective on things, doesn't it? 
But what, what do we focus on, on this, in this earth? There's a story. During the Korean War, there was a Korean houseboy who was responsible for helping take care of some of the soldiers that were in his village. And some of these American soldiers thought it was funny to play practical jokes on this kid. They'd tie his shoes together. They'd lock him out of the house, wouldn't let him in, and basically tease him. Well, the American soldiers found out one day that the little boy didn't think it was funny as what they thought it was. So the American soldiers came up to the boy and apologized to him, saying, we're sorry, we won't do this anymore. And the little Korean boy, goes, little Korean boy said, that's okay, I'll stop spitting in your soup now. Because <laughs> he was responsible for their food. See, that's what we do. We look for a way, how am I going to get even with that guy? How am I going to balance the scale here? You know, I, was a, I played football in high school, and I got cheap shotted one time. I mean, it was a cheap shot. It was dirty. The ref didn't flow, throw a flag, so I decided I was going to take justice into my own hands the next play. And the ref happened to see that one, and I got kicked out of the game. But I balanced the scales. I felt pretty good about myself up until the point they said, 52 ejected. <laughs> I felt pretty good. I'm like, yeah, hey, I stood up for myself. I took care of myself. I, I balanced the scales on that particular one. You know, Matt and Kent are big Yankees fans. You know what was the big thing in baseball whenever I was in high school? If a pitcher drilled another guy on the other team, it was, who's the next pitcher going to drill on the other team? Who's going to get the fastball to the back on this one? Because that's what we do. In human terms, we like to balance the scale. If you're going to hit my guy, I'm going to hit your guy. But you better make sure it's of equal level or else. Because if you hit an all-star and they hit an all-star, if you hit a scrub player and they hit an all-star, it's coming back at you again. So you better hit somebody that's on the same level so you can balance the scale right. And that's what, that's what the people on this earth are taught, that we balance the scales. People on this earth generally don't teach. Just forgive it and move on. That's generally not what you hear in worldly logic. Just forgive it and move on. That's what Jesus is saying here. We don't need to be out there balancing the scales. We need to forgive and move on. What was interesting is what the apostles told him in the fifth verse here. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Now, where did this come from? (laughs) Was my original thought whenever I was first studying this is, where did this come from? And then I realized the things that Jesus was teaching them is hard to do. It's hard to sometimes put our pride aside and forgive somebody. Some of the teachings he had been teaching with the Pharisees, some of those things are hard to put into practice. And they wanted to fake the faith to do it. You know, it's a lot easier to say it sometimes than to do it. It really is. It's a lot, a lot easier to say, yeah, you need to forgive your brother than to actually go out and do it. But what did Jesus tell them whenever they said, increase our faith? So the Lord said, if you have the faith as a mustard seed... You can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Okay. (laughs) So I need to have the faith of a mustard seed. Okay, we might be able to do that. Well, that right there is a mustard seed. I don't know if you can see it in in between those fingers, but it's small. It's very small. As a matter of fact, it's one of the smallest seeds known to man, is a mustard seed. And Jesus says, if you have faith like that, you could tell a tree to be uprooted and planted in the sea and it'll obey you. Now that doesn't seem like a lot of faith to me. <laughs> I think maybe Jesus somebody said, if you had the faith like a mountain. <laughs> no, 
Well, that, that begs the question, how strong is our faith? You see, the apostles were worried about the strength of their faith to be able to obey what Jesus had been telling them to do. So how strong is our faith, really? There was a time when the apostles were on a boat, and the storm was raging, and they saw something out there walking on the water that looked like a ghost, and they were, got, got a little bit scared. And then they hear Jesus say, don't be afraid, it's me. Well, Peter, never lacking for words, said, Lord, if it's you, command me that I should come walk with you. Peter always had a bad habit. He's kind of like me of opening his mouth sometimes when he shouldn't have. And he goes, Lord, if it's really you, just go ahead and command me to come see you. And Jesus said, okay, come on out here. And Peter did. Peter started walking on the water to the Lord. But you know what happened? Peter got out there and he noticed the waves. He noticed the wind. And he took his eyes off of Jesus and he started to sink. And he said, Lord, save me. Jesus reached down, grabbed his hand, and said, Oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? You know, it's really easy to have faith when everything's going real smooth. It's really easy to say, Yeah, I have faith whenever there's no problems, life's going great, you got enough money in the bank account, your job's going well, everything's going good with the family. It's really easy to have faith then. But what happens when the storms come? What happens when you don't know how you're going to get through it? What happens when the bank account's down to zero and you got another month till payday? <laughs> you know, that right there is an African impala. They can jump up to 10 feet high and jump as broad as 30 feet out. But you know what's amazing about an African impala? You can keep him in, in a three-foot stone wall. And he can jump 10 feet high and jump 30 feet high. How can you keep him in in a three-foot stone wall? Because impals won't jump when they can't see what they're going to land on. If they can't see where their feet are going to land, they're not going to jump. Faith is the ability and the trust in what you cannot see. You know, there's times I may not be able to see what Jesus has planned. Am I still willing to jump? Or is it like, I'm with you, Lord, as long as I can see where we're going. As long as I can see the path, I'm with you. Or is it as soon as it gets a little bit murky and I really can't see what's going on, uh, I'm just going to stay in this little fenced-in area until I can see the other side. Because <laughs> that's what that Impala do. You can go to zoos and Impala's will be kept in in a three-foot stone wall with just flat grass on the other side. But since they can't see the grass, they're not going to jump. Sometimes I think that's how we are. As long as we can see where the Lord's taking us and we can kind of agree with it. Okay, yeah, I'm with you, Lord. But the minute it starts getting cloudy and dark and we can't exactly see where we're going, uh, I'm just going to hang back here a little bit, see how it works out, and then maybe I'll move forward. Wait for that fog to lift just a little bit. In Romans 10 and 17, so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So if we want a strong faith... We need to hear the word of God. You know, I wasn't much of a student in high school. <laughs> Studying was not my forte. It was not something I enjoyed. It was not something I was good at. Math was, in particular, something that I, did, I had no use for. I did not like math. I did not like numbers. Dustin, Jesse's husband, is a 
Math professor, there's no way. Math, I had zero, zero use for math. But one day, at the start of school, we would always get our playbooks for football. And I'd go home, and I'd sit down with my dad, and he'd read off the play, and I'd tell him exactly what my responsibilities were. Man, I'd study it hard, and I'd study it fast. And I can tell you what eagle over 53 double rocket, double twist blitz with a cover two means. But I can't tell you what x over y plus x over y divided by x is supposed to be. And my mom goes, if you spent half the time you spent studying your playbook, studying that math book, you'd be a lot better in math. You know what? If we want faith, we don't need to be putting things that aren't God's word in our lives. What you need to be thinking about is whatever I put into my life is either going to add to my faith or it's going to subtract from my faith. Is that TV show adding to my faith or is it subtracting from my faith? Is that music I like to listen to? Is that adding to or is that subtracting? Because very few things that you put in your life are going to have a neutral effect on you. Very few. As a matter of fact, I can't think of anything that you'd put in your life that would have a neutral effect where you're just going to stay exactly the same. If you want a strong faith, you need to get it in the Word and study the Word. You're not going to get a strong faith by going out and, as much as I enjoy it, going out to Cowboy Stadium, watching the Cowboys play, going over to the Cotton Bowl, watching Texas OU, which was a great game yesterday. I loved watching it. But that's not going to build my faith. As a matter of fact, in the fourth quarter, my faith was a little bit tested there, but... That's not, that stuff's not going to add to my faith. Now, it's not necessarily bad that I watch that. But is that all I'm doing? It's all I'm doing adding worldly things in and not putting anything godly in there? That will subtract from your faith. In Hebrews 11 and 16, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For who, who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. And he didn't even end there diligently seek him. You know what? I was diligent in my playbook. I wanted to have those plays down before the first game because I didn't want the coach coming to me going, you didn't know your responsibility, you're sitting on the bench. <laughs> I didn't want that happening. So I diligently studied that. The math book, on the other hand, eh. I could throw a last-minute cram session in and get a 75 and still pass the class, so I'm good. I wasn't diligent in that. We need to be diligently seeking him because we need to know that without faith it is impossible and we can't build faith if we're not in the word. Because if faith comes from the word, we've got to be in the word to build faith. What does, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus, also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So let's break this down a little bit. It says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone has faith but does not have works? Is that going to profit anything? I can say I have all the faith in the world, but I don't do anything about it. Is that going to do anything? Well, then he compares it. To a brother or sister that's naked or needs food and always says, be ye warmed and filled. Did that really do any good? If I pull up to you and you got a flat tire on the side of the road, I go, uh, well, I hope it works out for you and pull off. Does that really do anything good for you? <laughs> no. Doesn't do anything good at all. So then he says, thus also by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. 
So do we have a dead faith or do we have a live faith? If we have an alive faith, we're going to have the works with it. He even goes on in verse 18, but someone, some will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God? You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? So he said it twice. So it must be kind of important if he went over it twice. Again, he says, I have faith and I have works. And he says, show me your faith without your works. Is it possible to do that? I mean, really think about it. Is it possible to show faith without works? And then he says, I'll show you my faith by my works. So faith has to have some sort of change in us. We have to have some sort of change. We have to be willing to do something. You know, faith is all good and dandy until we actually have to do something about it. Think about the day that you became a Christian. Are you the same person now that you were then? I hope not. I hope you're growing stronger in faith every day. Because if you're the same as you were then, what good, what, what good has it done you? If you're the same person that you were when you first obeyed Christ, what has it really done for you? If it hasn't changed you, if it hasn't changed your outlook on life, if it hasn't changed what you do on a daily basis, what has it really done for you? You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the de demons believe and tremble. You know, whenever I was in, maybe right after I got out of high school, maybe a couple years, they did a study and they polled a bunch of Americans. And according to this poll, over 87% of Americans claim to have faith in Jesus. Now, if that's the case, why aren't our church buildings, we're building church buildings after church building after church building? Because they may believe. They may, I'm not going to tell them they don't believe. They may believe. But are they willing to do something about it? Are they willing to put their money where their mouth is? Because it says here the demons believe. Well, what's the difference between us and demons? It should be that our, what we do with that faith. How that faith works in our lives. How that faith changes us. How that faith makes us more Christ-like. That should be the difference. And then he says again, But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? If you want a dead faith, don't do anything about it. <laughs> don't put any work into it. Don't try to show your faith by your works. Just kind of say, I believe, and that'll be good enough. If you want a dead faith, that's how you get a dead faith. But then he continues in verse 9. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So here Jesus was talking about a servant that was out in the field working all day. And he comes in and he goes, what do you expect, the servant to eat and stuff before the master? He goes, no, the master's going to tell him, you dress yourself properly, you feed me, and once I'm taken care of, then you can take care of yourself. And then Jesus says, does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. Because that's what a servant's job is, isn't it? To do what's commanded of him. So he says, so likewise, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say we are unprofitable servants, we have done what was our duty to do. 
So now that we're showing our faith by our works, don't get too proud of yourself. Because even when you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, it's just what you're supposed to be doing. <laughs> you know, my junior year, I made all-state football, and I was proud of that fact. I was real proud. I was number two on the sack list. I was, I mean, I was, I thought I was it. My senior year, the same thing. I was number two on the all-time sack list at that point. I was behind one guy. You might know him, Michael Strahan. And my coach brought me down to earth with one little word. He goes, you accumulated those sacks over four years. I go, yeah. He goes, Michael Strahan played one year of high school football. I'm like, oh, okay. Maybe I'm not as good as what I thought. And he knew, he knew me. He knew me really well. He knew I was reading my press clippings. He knew I thought I was it. And he goes, great job. They reward you for doing your job. Good job. You did what you're supposed to do. Good job. Because he knew if he added all that fuel to that fire, boy, I wasn't going to play well the rest of that year. <laughs> but that's what we're looking for sometimes, isn't it? Well done. Good job. You know, we have appreciation days for everything. This last month, my company celebra- celebrated Truck Driver Appreciation Week. We had all sorts of stuff that week. We, had, we got uh, Arctic cups. We got hats. We got a meal prepared for us. I mean, we got all sorts of stuff for the company to show our appreciation. Children are my appreciation. Do they really have to do that? We're just doing our jobs. That's what we're paid to do. They show their appreciation by paying us every week. But in America, somehow we feel like we got to feel appreciated. We got to feed that ego. We got to feed that pride. And you know what? Jesus had just been got through teaching. He'd been teaching the Pharisees it's not about you, it's not about your pride. You know, whenever the Pharisee and the publican went up to pray, the Pharisee bragged about doing his job. That's basically what he did. I tithe. I don't, I'm not like other men. I keep your commandments. Good, you're doing what you're supposed to do. Okay, you're great. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, have you noticed the wording of these? Your reasonable service. You've done that which you were supposed to do. You know, sometimes I think that Christianity as a whole thinks they're doing God a big favor by doing what we're supposed to do. By doing the things he commanded. Well, we're doing God a great favor just because we're doing the things that he told us to do. No, you're doing what you were supposed to be doing anyway. It's not unreasonable that he asked you to do those things. It was your duty to do those things because of what he did for you. It's not, I'm going out every week and living my life so I can make God look good. That's not how it works. We don't go out there saying, I'm going to make God look really good this week. God doesn't need us to do that. God created the heavens and the earth. He can make himself look good if he really wanted to. As a matter of fact, Most of the time when God dealt with people, if you remember, when Moses came down with the Ten Commandments, God talked to the people. And you know what the people told Moses? Don't you have him talk to us again. It was an awesome, awesome experience, evidently. God doesn't need our help to make him look good. Well, then we're thinking about this, then why even try? 
If all we're going to be is unprofitable servants, if we're just doing our duty, why do we even want to do this then? If we're not going to get any kind of appreciation for it, why, why even bother? Well, in John 15 and 5 and 6, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gathered them and threw them into the fire, and they are burned. Because if you don't do your minimal duty, you'll be thrown into the fire and burned. God's not saying he doesn't want us to do those things. But what he's saying is don't get so proud of yourself over doing just what you were supposed to be doing like the Pharisees were doing at the time. So how do all these things enter interlock? Well, we're talking about faith and works. Jesus, Jesus isn't saying you shouldn't do the works. He isn't saying you shouldn't do what you're commanded to do. But what he is saying is realize when you're doing it, you're just doing your, what you're supposed to do anyway. Don't think that you're so much better than other people that aren't, like the Pharisees do. Don't put yourself on a pedestal above those people. Don't think you're so much better than them just because you're doing what I told you to do. Because at the end of the day, all of sin has come short of the glory of God. So you're already out of luck at that point because God can have no part of sin. So realize your place. Realize that even though you're doing these things for God, even though God has commanded you to do these things, it's not something that we should take an exorbitant amount of pride in like the Pharisees were doing at the time. And you know what? It's going to take faith to do these things. It's not always going to be easy. When we're talking about forgiving people, it's not always easy. You know, people may hurt us. And it may hurt to the core, and it may hurt to forgive them. Do we have the faith that's strong enough to do it? To know that if we do it, everything's going to work out the way God said it would? Or is it like, eh, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Kind of thing. I'm not going to let you do it again. There have been churches torn apart because people were unwilling to forgive each other. And I've seen it. And to be honest with you, whenever I was looking at it, it's like, it didn't even seem like that big of a deal. But what had happened is forgiveness was denied, and it festered and turned into grudges. And it ruined congregations. Ruined them. Because people weren't willing to forgive. Because that's going to be one of the works that you show your faith by is your ability to forgive people. Ever thought of it that way? One of the works I have to perform down here is forgiveness. Jesus commanded it. It's not like it's an option. It's not like, well, if he really means it, if he's really sincere, if he never does anything to you again, then you can forgive him. Or if you feel like forgiving your brother, that's okay. You can go ahead and forgive him. If not, hey, that's fine as well. It's not an option. So as we sit here today, where are you in this journey? Do you have the kind of faith where you can do these things? I'll admit, sometimes I fall short. I can admit it. Not something I'm proud to admit, but sometimes I fall short in this because it's not always easy to do the right thing. Not just forgiveness, but other things that we're commanded to do. It's not always easy to do those things. 
But God expects us to have the faith in him that we will do them because he told us to do them. And we know that it will all work out because he told us it would. You know, in Romans 12, he, he tells us to not repay any man evil for evil. He says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. You know, we talked about balancing the scale. There's going to come a day where the scale is balanced. There's going to come a day where the scale is balanced eternally. And at that point, we're going to want to have had the kind of faith and the kind of humility about that faith where the scale is balanced in our favor. And the only way that's going to happen is through Jesus. There's no other way for that to happen because we can't balance the scale on our own. So with these teachings he gave, he kind of gave us a little bit of a road map here. Now, I know there's more commands than just forgiveness. I understand that. But that's the one that was used in this passage. So that's the one we focused on this morning. But he says, you keep the commands. You have the faith to do it. And then realize once you do it, you're just doing what you're supposed to do all along. It's nothing to take a whole lot of pride in. You're just doing that which you ought to be doing. Can we say that we do those things? Can we say that we obey the command? We have enough faith to obey the command in Jesus that it'll work out. Even if we don't see where it's going. We're not like the Impala where if we can't see where we're going and how it's going to work out, we don't move. And then not brag about doing what we're supposed to do. Can we do those three things? Because that's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying that's, what you, that's the way you need to live your life. Do what you're supposed to do. Have enough faith to do it even if you don't know where it's leading you. And just realize that when you do it, you're only doing that which you were commanded to do. You're not doing any, any great service to God in doing it. You're just doing your reasonable service. Hopefully I've said something this morning that has caused you to think. I know the study has been really beneficial for me. I hope it has been for you. I hope there's something you can take and apply to your lives. Maybe you haven't been this kind of person in the past. You can always change. There's always time to change. As long as you're breathing, there's time to change. There's going to be a day where that's t- it's, not, it's going to be too late for you to change any of that. I'm not saying the change is going to be easy. It's going to be hard. Because what people try to do is they try to put human thoughts in God's head. Okay, so if God's doing this, then I've got to be able to work it out and see where he's taking me here. And we don't always understand where God's taking us. It might be hard. But it'll be worth it in the end. If we can help, we want you to come as we stand and sing.